let's start off with some full disclosure here. Uh, our pastor said I would be filling in him for him today. He did not tell you why. You have offended him. <laughs> he told me the other day, he said, I got complaints Sunday after my message. And I thought, now, pastor, just take it easy. What, what has upset you so much? I said, I, I, I know what it was. You didn't wear a coat and tie. And the people were complaining, but no, that wasn't it. That, it wasn't it. I said, aha, I know what the problem was. It's those psychedelic socks you've been wearing. When you get up on the platform, he said, no, it wasn't, wasn't that either. I said, well, what's the problem, Pastor? What's... He said, they told me I talked too fast. So well, what are you going to do that? He said, well, I, you know, I thought, well, I'll get somebody else to preach then. And uh, and he, I said, what about Jason? No, Jason talks about the same as I, what, what about, uh, what about Brad? No, about the same. I said, what about Curtis? He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you going to do, pastor? He said, well, I thought maybe if we had somebody that I could find who's a lot older, you know, <laughs> somebody who talks slow. Maybe I could, I know what I need. I need a kind of a semi-retired, washed-out seminary professor. He could do the job. So here I am, except I want to tell you that if Dave came to me because he thought I only talked too fast, I can tell you he's never sat in one of my classes and tried to take notes. So I'll challenge him on that. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians. We're in the middle of the third chapter. We are continuing through this book, Galatians. Galatians can be a bit confusing and hard to follow a lot of times. There's a reason for that. That's because the book of Galatians is written primarily to a Jewish audience. You'd have to grow up in a Jewish world to really understand a lot of the discussion and a lot of the things that, that Paul's talking about in this letter. For example, uh, Paul talks a lot, a, a lot about the law. What's he talking about when he talks about the law? Well, he doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, but all the law of God that was given to Moses there at Mount Sinai. It included many, many laws. But for the Jew, law extended even further than that because for the Jews, they had almost a countless number of laws, officially over 600 laws that they had developed in order to uh, explain the Ten Commandments. For example, uh, you have a law in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, and they had to come up with some laws, okay, exactly what does adultery mean and what does a person have to do to commit adultery? And one religious leader says, well, obviously she has to, uh, she has to commit adultery, therefore he can divorce her. And another one said, he probably was a Baptist, but he said, well, if she burns his toast, that's grounds for divorce. Uh, didn't work that way. But they had developed all these laws. They grew up with these laws. They lived by these laws. Not only did they use these laws to describe who they were as Jews, but whenever we develop laws like this, and we all do it, you do, I do, we all do. 
When we develop laws like this, we use these laws to determine for our sake who is right with God and who is not. For example, let me explain it uh, like this. Many of you grew up, uh, let's say, in a Baptist church or maybe a Methodist, an assembly, uh, a Nazarene church. And in those churches growing up, you learned certain things about what defines, what, what a Christian does somebody who's right with God? What do they? Well, they they go to church on Sunday morning. They go to a Bible class regularly. When you were growing up, they probably would also go on Sunday night, maybe in the middle of the week. But you did all of these things. You read your Bible every day. If you were really, really right with God, you would tithe, of course, and do all of those things. Well, maybe you didn't grow up in one of those churches. Maybe you grew up in a more liturgical Protestant church like a Lutheran, uh, or a Presbyterian, or an Episcopal church. And for you, you got used to the way you worshipped and the way things were done. And There was a lot of formality, and you had a lot of special days and events on the church calendar. And, and somebody who's really right with God, they do all these things. Those become laws that we use to define who is right with God and who is not right with God. Maybe you came up in the Catholic Church, so you went to Mass, and you did your Hail Marys, and you know, you did all of those things, and you say a person that wants to be right with God, they've got to be sure to do all of these things. Those are laws. They're man-made laws. All of those that I've described to you, out of all of those, not one of those, friend, will get you into heaven. Amen. Not one of them. You could even join all those denominations if that were possible. You, you could even go to each one, go through their rituals of baptism or, or indoctrination or whatever there might be. But you could do all of those things and still not go to heaven. For the Jew, it was all about living like a good Jew, making sure that you kept the laws of God but those extended out to making sure you kept all the festivals and you did all the rituals that a good Jew does. There's a growing movement even in our country and, and around many countries today to try to get uh, Christian believers to become more Jewish. Now look, you can observe all those holidays and that's good. You can do all of those things like, like a good Jew does. But doing those things does not by themselves make you right with God. There are only two kinds of religion in this world. The first kind, which encompasses virtually the whole world, you can spell with two letters out of the English alphabet, D-O. What does it take for a person to be right with God? You've got to do something. You've got to do right things. You keep the laws. You keep the religious uh, patterns and instructions that makes you right with God no it doesn't Paul's very adamant about that the other religion and the only one that gives you any hope of heaven is spelled not with two letters but with four d-o-n-e it's not about what you do friend it's about what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done for you. 
And you have one of two hopes of heaven, and that is how you perform, what you do, and how well you do the things that you do. Or whether you come to Jesus Christ and say to him, Lord Jesus, I give up. I cannot do enough. And even if I do enough, I can't undo what I've already done. I'm trusting in you and your death on the cross and that alone to save my soul. Do or done, where are you? When Paul was writing this letter, he was facing a body of believers and writing to a body of believers that had come to Christ through him and his ministry. But others had come along, and now they're trying to tell these people, well, what Paul gave you was fine, but, but that's not enough. You've got to make sure that if you're not a Jew, you become a Jew, and if you are a Jew, you've got to make sure you keep all the laws. We fall into that same trap today. A person comes to Christ. They've trusted him only and through faith in him for their salvation. And then we start measuring them up and say, well, now listen, you also need to do this and this if you want to be right with God. And you need to make sure if you want to guarantee yourself of heaven that, that you do this. And you give them a list that you create, <laughs> that you feel comfortable with. Paul was aggravated that people would do that. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, flip back to page uh, or, or to the to chapter one and verse six, and notice how Paul began his letter. Chapter one, verse six, Paul says, "I am astonished. I can't believe this." Paul said that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he goes on to explain, it's, it's a gospel, all right. Your gospel says, well, do, and you'll get to heaven. That's a gospel. It just doesn't work. It's not the gospel. Look over in chapter 3, the opening words. Paul continues, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's pulled the wool over your eyes? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you come to God? How did you come to Christ? Was it through placing your faith, your trust, your hope in Him? Or was it by the things you do, he, he said. Verse 3, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, the things that you do? Verse 4, did you suffer so many things uh, in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Look at verse 7. Knowing then that it is those of faith who are the sons of of Abraham only by faith you may be a descendant of Abraham and you keep the laws of Abraham all the good Jewish laws but that doesn't make you right with God only through faith only through placing your trust believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross from you can you know that you're going to heaven let me define a couple of words for you here. Not really define them, but help you with them. When you're reading your New Testament and you come across the word believe, 
verb, and the word faith, a noun, understand something. When Paul was writing, those two words were the very same word. Because in the Greek language, they had a verb for faith. We do not in English. So we have to use the word believe. So we have faith, but we don't faith something. We believe something. So when you see those two words, you're looking at the same word. So Paul, in our passage here, beginning in chapter 3, verse 15, here's what Paul writes. He said, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, uh, a, a, a will, a testament, um, even with a man-made last will, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 17. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. See what he's talking about? Paul was concerned about three things in this passage, and the first one is this that he's wanting to get across, and that is the promise that God gave to Abraham. And he said the promise that God gave to Abraham did not need to be negotiated. It did not need a man uh, to, uh, to uh, intervene between man and God. God simply made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham believed God or trusted God, placed his faith in God that what God said God would do. And so Paul talks about this promise. When he talks about the promise that God made with Abraham, you have to say, well, now what, what, what is this promise? And there are a number of places where you can read about the promises to Abraham. But let me simply point, and they do include certain physical things like the land and like a lot of descendants and so forth. But ultimately, the promise had to do not with land, not necessarily at least with physical descendants, but it had to do with what God promised in the very beginning in Genesis, the third chapter. And that was that after Adam and Eve sinned, he promised that he would, through a woman, provide a seed that would bring salvation or redemption or a payment for sin. Abraham is looking for that seed. The Jews had historically looked for that seed. And when Eve gave birth to her first son, she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I've got the seed. But Cain, of course, proved not to be what she thought he would be. And Abel came along, but Cain killed Abel. And then she had another son, and they called him Seth. And she said, God has appointed me, given me another seed, because obviously Cain wasn't it. She's looking for the seed, the promised seed, that would give salvation to her and all a payment for sin. Abraham's still looking for that seed. And what we read even in here, Paul said, the promise was made to Abraham in his offspring, singular. The seed, through 
the seed that would come, which is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the seed that would come, all the inheritance would be given. So he talks about the promise to Abraham. Let's continue in verse 19. And he wants to talk now about the law that was given to Moses, which came much later, as we saw earlier. For 430 years, the children of Israel had been Egypt in Egypt before even the law was given. Moses, or Abraham has been dead uh, several centuries before we get around to the law. And so Paul raises the question on their behalf when they would say, well, if that's the case, why do we need a law? Why did God give the law to Moses? What's the use of it? Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until, until the offspring, the seed, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Of course not. Certainly not. Paul says the the law is not against the promises of God. But notice this. For if a law had been given that could give life, that's what we're looking for. I want to know something I can do, that if I do this, I will have eternal life. And Paul said that if a law had been given that would do that, that could give life, then righteousness, being made right with God, would indeed be by the law. If there was a law written that says, look, you go, to Sunday, uh, you go to Sunday morning worship every Sunday for the next five years. No exceptions. You also have to be on time. You also have to say amen now and then when the preacher's doing a good job. But you've got to do this stuff. If there was such a law, and as a result, God said, if you'll do all that, I guarantee you a spot in heaven, forgiveness of sins. Our attendance might be better. We might see more people come then don't come. But you say, what does that have to do with being righteous? Nothing. Because it doesn't undo the sin that's already in your life. And as Paul says here, we're all, look at verse 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, who have faith. In other words, the law does two things very well. One is the law kind of tries to tell us how to live. Shows us these things are right, these things are wrong. We understand that about the law. That's why we have laws. Why do we have laws as a nation? Because we want to say, you know, these things are right, these things are wrong. We want to tell people how to live. But something else the law does, and it does very well, is the law, Paul said, it puts us in a box, imprisons us. In other words, we look at the law and we realize, I can't do all of those things. I can't do it. I'll try. You know, I'll do my best. But you want me to keep all the laws? Let let me... Let me uh, give you a test, and you can prove this for yourself. 
especially those of you who have a tendency to uh, invoke the rolling stop. Uh-huh, I can see that. Uh, thank you, Al. I see that confession. You know what I'm talking about. You see a stop sign. Say, ah, I don't think anybody's coming. No, he's, yeah, just. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know that very, that very time, when you hurry, when you really have a reason for not stopping, there just happens to be a policeman. And he pulls you over. And he said, uh, did you notice there was a stop sign back? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I saw that. And did you notice that you didn't stop? Yes, sir, I do. But, officer, but I'm going to stop twice next time. <laughs> now you can try it. Anybody want to confess? Or you can say to him, yeah, I know that, but I stopped twice last time. It doesn't work that way. Huh? See, there's not a law that says if you keep this law, then you won't be guilty of breaking any other law. See? And the same thing before God. You, you don't live a perfect life. You've run the stop sign. You've disobeyed God. You've broken the commandments. There is no commandment in there that says, but if you'll do this one, it'll just wipe out everything else that you didn't do. It'll undo all of your breaking of the law. You won't find it in there. You won't find it in Scripture. But even if you did, still would that be permanent? I mean, you know, if you'd broken the law all your life and then now you keep this new law so that you're back right in everything and then you break another law, then are you still okay? No, that's like saying, I stopped twice. Officer, last week I stopped seven times at the same time at that stop sign. I figure I'm good for at least a week. Doesn't work. Try the argument if you want, and you can come tell us how that worked out for you. Paul said, no, righteousness comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the only person to ever live who was absolutely perfect. He didn't have any laws broken he had to pay for. He's the very son of God, born of a virgin, left heaven, came to this earth to die on the cross for your sins. I could try to die for your sins, but the problem with that is I have my own sin. But Jesus Christ had no sin. And when he died on the cross for my sin and for your sin, then he offers to us, not by keeping a bunch of laws, not by following a, a bunch of rules or guidelines or lists, he said, if you come to me by faith, placing your trust in my death on the cross for your sins, I give to you. I don't sell you. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I will give you eternal life. That's what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The law that God gave to Moses then we come to the last part of what Paul says here. He's talked about the promise that he gave to Abraham and the law that he gave to Moses. And now he wants to tell you the good news, the salvation that he gives to all those who come to him through faith 
in Jesus Christ. But Paul makes it clear. This is not believing in him plus. This is not doing it on your own so you don't have to come through him. This is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Only Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to pay for my sins or your sins. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Have you staked your eternity on that? One day I knelt down at the end of a worship service in church and I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save my soul of all my sins. And you know what? He did exactly what he said he would do. And he gave me new life. We call that salvation. We call that being born again. I am a brand new person. Have I ever failed since? Yes. But I'm still a child of God. I don't always act like a child of God ought to act. Sometimes I bring shame to my father, but I'm his child because I place my trust in him only through faith. Look what Paul says beginning in verse 23. He says this. Now look, before faith came along, before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, in prison, put in a box, until the coming faith would be revealed. In other words, we were, you know, we were bound. We had to keep the law to try to do what was right and and, and the law proved that we weren't perfect, showed us how much we had failed. Paul calls the, the law a schoolmaster, a guardian in verse 24. And the law was there until Jesus would come. Verse 24, so then the law was our, there it is, our guardian. Until Christ came in order that we might be, here's your good theological word, justified. What does justified mean? It simply means made right. Until we were made right. How? What does Paul say? In order that we might be justified by what? By faith. Placing your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Look, some of you have been struggling all your lives to try to measure up to what you think God wants. Maybe you were trying to measure up what you think a church wants or your family wants or, or your friends want, but you've been doing your best and you're miserable because you realize you're not getting it done. There's still a need there. A man came to Jesus one time. We know his story well. He was a young fella, but very good Jew, wealthy, prominent in his community respected by those around him. One day when he heard that Jesus was coming nearby, the Bible said he ran and he got on his knees right in front of Jesus. With all the people standing around, this man said to Jesus, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me what to do. There's that religion, right? Tell me what to do. Jesus said, well, you're a Jew. You got the law. What does the law say? This man said to Jesus, he said, I've done all of that. Hear that? I've done all of that. Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus doesn't say, you're lying. Jesus doesn't say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Jesus tells him what he needs to do. 
He said, go sell everything you've got. Give it away. Follow me. The Bible said he turned around and he went home sad, downhearted, sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. You got a lot of stuff? What keeps you from following Jesus? You say, are you saying to me that what the Bible teaches is that if I'll sell everything I've got and give it away, then I'll go to heaven? No, you're missing the key point. Jesus said you're going to have to get all of that stuff of yours out of the way because if you want to come to me, you got to follow me. If you want eternal life, you need to follow me. So Paul said, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Ah, you like that? You're no longer in a box. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. How? Through faith. Nail that down. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's he saying? That this salvation, this being made right with God, it comes only through faith. But through faith, we can come to Christ and have eternal life. But he goes on to tell us something more. Only through faith can we all Red, yellow, black, and white, we used to sing. I know we've updated the words, right? But that sounds more personal. <laughs> Most of us classify ourselves some way like that. All of us become one. Look at verse 28. Paul said, through faith, only through faith, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave or free, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is not saying you don't have a nationality or you, you don't belong to, to, a, to a race or to a gender. No, God created you that way. You didn't get to choose what color you were when you were born. You didn't get to choose whether you're male or female when you were born. But you can choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, all these prejudices and these isms and schisms and all of these divides fall apart. Why is that? Let's go back to the law a minute. If I could be made right with God by keeping the law, then I may be able to do some things that you can't. And I could say, see, you need to act more like me. I did this and you didn't. You did that and I didn't. So we measure one another. We still do that a lot, don't we? That's why Paul's so frustrated in writing this letter. He said, you've got people that are trying to get you back on this scale of be better than the next guy. Do more than the person next to you. But he said it's all about coming to God through faith. So it doesn't matter if you're a thief hanging on the cross or if you're Nicodemus or or the high priest, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you as a gift eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then finally he says in verse 29, and if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The life that he offers, it's yours because you place your trust in him.